the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have a great show, a great show, a great show as usual. And uh, in a few minutes, we will speak with Rachel Bovard. Now, Rachel Bovard in the last five years, I'd say, is one of those people who... If she, I don't know if she's shot to fame, but in the circles that I observe and read and watch, she's one of the smartest people and she has the best integrity. She's really impressive. Rachel Bovard, she writes over at thefederalist.com. She's also uh, a policy fellow at one of the think tanks and her specialty is big tech and what's happening. She's really smart, and we'll talk with her uh, and get an update on what's going on in the tech industry. She wrote a piece that specifically lays out the tensions of Donald Trump's effort to do um, to do a new social media and how he's got to worry about how that plays out. And we'll also talk with Paul Kengor. Paul Kengor has written books on communism, on dictators, on Reagan, on uh, others. And we'll talk with him about what's going on over in the Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. What you need to know today, this is obviously this weekend was wild. Almost hour to hour, if you looked on social media, you'd have a different narrative. Well, sometimes I tell you that uh, Ukraine was falling. Uh, some Sometimes I would tell you the Russians were being beaten back, whatever it was. Here's what I want to tell you. You can't believe anything. You realize that? You cannot believe anything that you see, but that doesn't mean you can unsee it. And what I mean by that is the narrative machine of which we are now all faced so dramatically, big tech, big media, and big government is used to tell us what the truth is. And you almost don't have a chance to learn your own message, to learn your own, to learn what's really happening. And so we're facing that. Now, what's changed and will change forever, I think, is that big tech and social media within big tech is able to be utilized now. You don't have to drop leaflets to do propaganda in a neighborhood. You don't have to publish an article in the uh, front page of the Sunday newspaper in America to teach people what you're true, what you want them to know. You can do it through social media. You can do it through Twitter, Facebook, all these different places and through big tech. And what you discover, you know, I've, I've told you before, Cernovich, Mike Cernovich at Cernovich on Twitter. He's really good at this. He pokes holes in things. He's kind of contrarian. He's on, 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 on not, he's not on every side at all, but he's on the side of saying, um, what? And I, I told you last week, he wrote the book, uh, he wrote a book hoaxed, but his movie, his documentary was called Hoax. It's extraordinary. And over the weekend, he was basically saying, um, if they're telling you Zelensky was fighting in the front with this, um, uh, massive, uh, uh, bulletproof vest, that was from four months ago. If they're telling you Russia's doing this, he's like, that's not true either. His point is, it's mostly spin, but it's sophisticated spin. And here's what I want, what you need to know. We don't really know what's going on. Right now, we're being steered by the powers that be to believe a narrative about what's happening. And at this point, we don't really know. The images that we're seeing, a lot of them are fake. 
Some of them are missing. By the way, if it's true that the Russians are having a tough time, why aren't there images of Russians, soldiers, either imprisoned or dead? You don't see that. You just hear how great it's going on one side. If the Russians are advancing, where are the images that are showing that? I mean, again, right now, go to MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, all of them. They're all telling a narrative, and the narrative is the same direction. And the narrative is sort of light versus darkness. Ukraine is light, Russia's darkness. And I don't see a lot of what uh, the John Schlafly and I talked about last week, the understanding of what's actual, what the nuance of this is. You know, what is, the, what is the reality on the ground? So the number one thing is we don't know what's happening. We should be very careful accepting the narrative from the fake news, from the narrative machine of what we think is going on because it's almost certainly wrong. Now, what can we say? Well, one thing we can say for sure is that this is a major, major disruption, a major problem. It's a war. And in, by definition, I think you have to call it a world war because it is disrupting all of the economy of the whole world. And, and this is very important, it's a nuclear power. It, the Russian, you know, the Russian uh, nation is a nuclear power of the first order. It's us and Russia and then China. Russia has so many more weapons than, than any, most other nuclear uh, nations. It's unbelievable. So be careful when you say, oh, wow, this could turn out X way. We need a stable world. Over the weekend, the Babylon Bee put something out and said, archdukes across Europe up their security, making a sort of joke, a satire about the fact that Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in in the early part of the last century. And that became the trigger for a world war, which was the worst war ever. I mean, it was just a horrendous war. World War II was maybe more killing, but it was, uh, it, it was many, I don't know, they're both the horrendous things. I mean, it ushered in, Archduke Ferdinand's assassination ushered in a, a set of circumstances that led to a century, you know, a, 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 the worst century we've had. But the problem right now is we don't know what the truth is. We don't know what the truth is. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at the TV and when I hear intelligence experts tell me what the truth is, I kind of shake my head. I don't kind of shake. I shake my head and say, are they lying again? Are the same people that spent years telling us there was a Russia hoax, are they the same people now telling us that this is how the war's going? Are the same people who told us that the election in 2016 was hacked, was rigged, and then told us in 2020, no, they couldn't rig it. I mean, again, the po- I'm not talking just about the political players, although they're all in in place. I'm talking about the narrative machine shaping our neighbors. Look, I went to church over the weekend and the pastor lectured us on how it, the war is, again, a, a, a light versus dark. And I thought, huh, I don't really know if I trust this uh, pastor for his geopolitical analysis. But there you have it. What you need to know right now is we don't know what the truth is there and it's harder than ever to cut through it to figure it out and we need to be very careful. Because... One of the things that will rush to judgment would be people will think one thing and, and, and act and make moves. And again, it's a nuclear power. Now, let me make one observation. I had this discussion on a radio interview today, and that is this. What do you think China is doing right now as they watch this happen and they watch the world? I think China is saying to themselves, we don't want any real wars or fights. 
We want to continue our, our, our economic power, our economic power grab, our economic influence. That's the most valuable way we can impact things. So, again, back to my point. What, we, what, what you need to know right now is we don't know what the truth is. And until we get some clarity from reliable sourcing, there are some on the ground, but right now it's the fog of war. Until then, reserve your judgment on what you think is the best path forward. I, I, I just don't see a lot of nuance right now. I see the guns of war being banged, drum, the drums of war being banged away on Fox News and every other station. And very few people saying, wait a second, what's happening here? And what we have to hope and pray for, frankly, is something changes so the war ends, stops. Whoever started it, whoever stops it, who cares? We just have to ratchet back. And, you know, the, one of the things I liked about President Trump was he, he knew from his standpoint that you have to find a way for people who are in a negotiation or a battle or whatever, that they come away and they can tell their side that they won something. Yeah, every, it's, it's the art of the deal if you read that book. We can't put a nuclear power in a position where they don't have a way to understand how to get back out of this. That's the that, that, that's what I but again, back to my point, what you need to know is right now we don't know. And if anyone tells you that they know with certainty of Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, here's what we know is going on. It's, it's just not true. It's it, well, it may be true, but you can't trust it. You can't know. And until we can figure out what's happening, we have to move slower in terms of the decisions about this and not put ourselves in a position where we end up with, it is a world war now, but end up with a a nuclear world war. That ought to be, I don't know why people have lost their imagination. They haven't lost their mind, but they've lost their imagination for what can happen. We haven't had a nuclear war, but it could happen And mutual assured destruction is a great doctrine, meaning no two nuclear powers will fight each other because they'll all be gone. But if you're cornered and your own existence is going down, you've got to you'll sometimes do things that are irrational. That's what we ought to be worried about. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about big tech. Again, the power of big tech in the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and big government. And then we'll visit also uh, with our old friend Paul Kengor. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend, uh, Rachel Bovard, who has been on the program. Been a while, though. And she writes and uh, contributes all across the country. She has a piece in The Federalist, which I spoke about last week, thefederalist.com. You can go there and see it. It posted about four or five days ago. Um, Really, really helpful walk through the challenge. A lot of people are like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, Donald Trump's going to start his own social media network. Rachel walks you through what that is all about. She is the Federalist's senior tech columnist. She's a senior director of policy at the Conservative Partnership Institute, uh, worked up in Washington on the Hill, and uh, she's been really helpful on these tech issues, especially on uh, cutting through what's going on. So welcome, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Before we get to your piece, I I often tell my listeners and we talk about what I call the narrative machine and the narrative machine is big tech, big media and big government working together to tell you something. It doesn't matter what it is. We get lots of examples and then they and they reinforce it to each other. But the most dominant is big tech. 
in my opinion, and a lot of what I've learned from you and others, um, they're not slowing down, right? They, they are not slowing down in terms of shaping what we know and what we're kind of told the truth is and therefore what most people believe. <laughs> no, they're only doubling down. Um, you know, I think they realize how powerful this sort of ideological cartel really is. And I think even more troubling than that, the White House realizes this too. You've seen several examples of the White House pressuring uh, companies like Facebook, companies like Spotify over what to censor on their platforms. And in some cases, you're seeing these platforms acquiesce. So it's it, it's an unprecedented level of control being sought from the White House over information, over what we can say and where we can say it. Um, again, uh, Rachel Bovard is our guest. And, and Rachel, do Republicans slash conservatives understand uh, let me say that differently. You just described that the White House knows they can pressure these corporations because they realize that it works. The companies, the organizations and the companies will yield. They also know that they have the, 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 the social media and the big tech has the power to shape the messaging. Do the Republicans really understand that? And do they understand the fight? Or, 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 or are we conservatives still having an argument about ideas? Well, I think it's pretty well understood what the White House wants to do. But what's less understood among conservatives, I think, is the fact that the White House is only pressuring these companies because these companies are so powerful in their own right. They know, like the White House knows Facebook has a speech monopoly. They know Google has an information monopoly. And I think to truly address this problem, you have to address both. This is not just a big government problem. This is a, a sort of corporate concentration problem as well. So it has to be a two-pronged approach. And a lot of conservatives have to get comfortable with antitrust enforcement. They have to get comfortable with passing laws to govern this new space that we're in where so much of our communications are privately controlled. Um, you know, you have history is littered with examples of Congress, you know, seeing new innovation, uh, spike to this level of social control to begin to sort of change the nature of our discourse and how we interact. And they've put down rules of the road. And I think with social media, we are at that point. And I think more conservatives need to be aware that, you know, it's not big government for Congress, our self-government to step up and say, hey, hey, guys, the social media companies don't rule us. We rule them and we get to decide how they interact with us, not the other way around. Again, we're talking with Rachel Bovard. She's the Federalist, over the Federalist. She's the senior tech columnist. She's also senior director of policy at the Conservative Partnership Institute. Rachel, this piece you wrote a few days ago is so important to me. We passed it around to all our folks um, because the title is Donald Trump has to build and protect Truth Social. That's his new social media platform, Truth Social, with both hands tied behind his back. It's so true. And what you laid out so cleanly is what the reality is. So first, tell us that reality. And then Give me your your assessment if it's possible to actually, you know, uh, defend any uh, social media network or any space with a, a voice that's conservative in the environment. But tell us first what what Donald Trump, the, what the problem he faces that's unique. So the problem that Trump faces is actually not unique to Trump himself. Right. It's it's sort of any new social media entity, any uh, new app, because the way that the ecosystem is structured around social media is that you have to have an app. Um, there is empirical evidence to back this up, right? People right. only it, it sort of interface with social media via apps on their smartphones. Right. And to, so to access the mainstream market, you have to go through, as an app, you have to go through Apple, Apple's App Store, or Google, Google's Play Store. Those are the only true two entry points because those two companies dominate the smartphone market so spectacularly. Right. And so what people don't fully grasp, I think, is the fact that, well, any you know social media 
emergent uh, platform can say is that they want to be a First Amendment platform. You see this from True Social, you saw it from Parler. They are subject to Apple censorship rules and Google censorship rules. And so it's not just that they can moderate however they want. They have to do, do it how Apple wants them to do it. And Apple has shown that it's not friendly. Uh, two conservative ideas. Parler was a case study <laughs> in right. how this went. And so you're already seeing complaints from the right. Well, Truth Social is censoring. Well, Truth Social has to uh, clamp down on some speech if they want to stay viable as a small business. And that's just the, un- the unfortunate reality is that there is a monopoly control over distribution of apps right now because of how dominant Apple and Google are. So to some extent, if True Social wants to make any money, if they want to stay in existence, they have to do what Apple says. They have to do what Tim Cook says. They have to do what you know some woke middle manager at Apple says in order to stay viable. So there's, a, there's an entrance fee to the free market in this case. Uh, again, Rachel Bovar is our guest. You, re- you mentioned in here the parlor, the example of parlor and how uh, uh, libertarians and some of the writers at Reason, David French, who's uh, at the Dispatch, sort of, um, you know, they, they sort of danced on the grave of parlor. And your, your point here, and it's so important, is parlor was doing what everybody says Trump should do. They, and they actually were getting traction and they were actually being careful. They were moderating the speech according to the rules they had to play. They still got whacked. I mean, you actually, you say there is a fee to get into the game. The truth is it's a movable fee. And, and once it's not convenient for the powers that be, the movable fee, it, it's not going to move up. It's just going to move out. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Apple is obviously enforcing their rules subjectively. Um, right. and, and they've always done that. And they will do that likely against Trump. It's exactly what they did against Parler. Because as I point out, the pretext for nuking Parler from the moon was that, oh, Parler helped organize January 6th. Well, we know from court records following the January 6th riot and people who were arrested there that the Department of Justice cited social media posts on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, at a much, much higher rate than they cited Parler. I think Parler was only cited eight times. And yet those other platforms, you know, ostensibly broke the rules Parler did at a much, much higher magnitude. They were fine. They were allowed Hmm. to stay in Apple's App Store. They were allowed to stay in Google's Play Store. It was only Parler. Uh, that was shut down. And so that just goes to show you that Apple intentionally keeps its content rules vague so that they can enforce subjectively because they enforce along ideological lines. I mean, we've seen this before. So I think Truth Social is going to try to play the game in a savvier way than Parler did, but that will require them to censor at a higher rate than what Parler did because under the sort of market access rules, because Google and Apple are so dominant, I'm not sure that a true First Amendment platform is is even possible. You couldn't access the market. Apple and Google wouldn't let you. Uh, again, we're talking with Rachel Bovard about uh, social media and especially Trump Trump Social. So, Rachel, um, and two two questions. We're winding down here. Uh, where does this go? And maybe where would you you prefer to see it go? I mean, the place it's most likely to go, in my opinion, is. Lots of people in Washington, D.C., in the swamp will talk a big game. They won't do anything serious. Uh, Republicans will win uh, the House, maybe the Senate. They'll not do anything serious. They'll talk a big game. The people that have power, congressmen, senators, will be able to protect their own sort of piece of the voice puzzle. And the rest of the thing will muddle along in large part because the money that's flowing in from the big tech companies is massive. That, that seems to me to be the usual playbook that, that I guarantee you, wherever the, the tech guys are and gals are gathered, they're trying to play out. What would you like to see happen? How likely is it? And where can people go to learn more about this? 
So uh, what we're dealing with here is, is almost a monopoly problem. And it's interesting, you're starting to see Congress pay more attention to the app stores and how, how dominant and controlling they are over that part of the marketplace. Right. And, you know, you saw the Senate Judiciary Committee address uh, some components of the app store. But in, at the end of the day, I think Congress has to look at these two stores and say, you are so dominant that you are almost common carriers, right? That you have to let everybody in. You can't be so ideological in enforcement. Otherwise, small businesses can't make it to the market and you're letting Apple and Google control that, which I don't think is right. So I think Congress needs to actually look at breaking that cartel um, with common carriage regulations that simply say, you know, you have to let all, you have to allow all comers, you know, onto your platform. But I think critically, you know, you see a lot of Republicans talk about Section 230. This isn't a Section 230 issue, really. This is a market access issue. And so, uh, you know, I think you'll see a lot of Republicans say, well, if we take power back, we're going to address Section 230. Well, that's fine and that's good, but it's it's necessary, but not sufficient, right? It doesn't solve all of our problems. So I, I, I think people really need to start holding their members accountable to really addressing the full comprehensive nature of this threat, not just Section 230, but the market aspect as well. Where do they go to learn more about what you're doing, Rachel, and what what you're uh, what you kind of are uh, advocating, and not 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 necessarily specifically, but to kind of follow your work, support your work, and and stay engaged. You can find all of my tech writing at the Federalist uh, at my author page. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel Bovard and at On True Social at Rachel Bovard as well. Good. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for uh, being out there, and uh, that was a great piece you wrote. So thank you for writing that, and keep it up, and uh, we'll have you back again soon. Thanks so much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, uh, Dr. Paul Kangor is with us, the author, uh, noted speaker. I saw his name. Uh, he's down in uh, Northern Virginia speaking somewhere soon. My wife noticed it in the newspaper, the Catholic newspaper. He speaks all over the country uh, and also is up at Grove City College uh, teaching the young people. Welcome back, Paul. How are you? Hey, good, Ed. Good to be with you. So, I, you know, one of the things besides being a great um writer and and uh, biographer of of Reagan as well as some of his people you've spent a bunch of time looking at communism looking at um uh how Americans uh were duped I love that one the book duped uh dupes it's called and so here we are watching what's happening in the world and one of your books is the communist that was about uh what's his name Frank Marshall Davis so uh, watching the world and we're told right now the media tells us uh, what to believe, and we believe it. Do, do you believe it? Well, I, I mean, yeah, you have to look at a lot of this stuff cynically, and you've got to be, I mean, you got to be very careful. You're right. I mean, being duped, right? I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's something that's gone on for a long time. You know, your work, Ed, with Phyllis Schlafly over the years, I mean, she understood this stuff very, very well. And, and she knew how, especially the far left and even people from the from the communist side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, communist Party USA, the Soviets, they engaged in disinformation. They engaged in duping, misleading people. Uh, I wrote a piece last week for the American Spectator called Putin Plays the Nazi Card. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and, in, and in that piece, I know people who clicked it probably thought, 
oh, well, you know, Putin is being like Hitler, Ken Gore is going to say, right? And that he's coming up with excuses to invade the Ukraine, uh, you know, claiming that the Ukrainians are persecuting ethnic Russians, just like Hitler did with the Sudetenland, right? Uh, with with, uh, with, the, with uh, the people of Poland claiming that they were persecuting ethnic Germans. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But what I was really referring to in that piece was how Putin stunningly accused the Ukrainians of, of Nazis, Nazi behavior. He said that you know, he was going into the Ukraine to denazify the Ukraine. And people who read that said, what in the world is he talking about? Well, that's an old KGB disinformation thing. They accuse all of their opponents of being Nazis, of being fascists. And uh, you know, this is something that they've done forever. Communist Party USA has done forever. I write in the article about Bella Dodd, who um, Phyllis Schlafly probably knew, and she was one of the most prominent people to have left the Communist Party USA, 1950s, 1960s. And I quote her in here. She said, yeah, the Communist Party, the communists use the race situation in a very effective ma uh, manner. They want to create a sense of fear among people, a sense of hatred. They say the white people are against you. They will say that to the Negro person. Um, they will put one racial group against another. She said when she was expelled from the party, I was accused of being anti-Negro, she said, anti-Puerto Rican, anti-Semitic, anti-working class. Suddenly I found myself smeared in the most violent kind of way. And then she said this, Ed, the party knew how to fight very effectively. If anyone tried to attack the communist movement, the party immediately went among the liberals, among hmm. its allies. Right. And they, the various bases of support and the help of these people to smear and isolate the person. They would build the person up into being pro-fascist, anti-Negro, anti-Semitic, anti-this and that until the person is blown up into, into creating some kind of monster and horror. She said, and then adding this, sorry to go on. Yeah, she yeah. Said, she said, we had certain contacts within the newspaper world, among among liberals, religious left ministers. We would contact them and to see if, if they could use the publicity there to smear the person. So this is the kind of thing that they've been doing, Ed, for 100 years. Yeah, well, and that's the, there's nothing old is new again. But but here's the question I have, Paul. We're talking again with Paul Kengor and the author in the book he was just talking about. One of the books we're talking about is Dupes, How America's Adversaries Have Manipulated Progressives for a century it's an incredible history uh but but paul observing this now now again at this moment 2022 right after five years of basically everybody realizing that the mainstream media was lying to us or was so dumb they were misled on everything from russia gate to the ukrainian phone call all this stuff right because of hatred of trump or hatred of whatever and now we're told with a unified voice that sounds a lot like, I don't know, 15 years ago, hey, this is it. It's evil over here and it's brightness over there. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm just a little bit more um, jaded, I guess, than not. And more importantly, on one side of this aisle, uh, this fight is a nuclear power. I mean, we don't need a, a, a problem where somebody loses a war and the way they don't lose it is to drop a dirty nuke on Kiev or, I mean, God forbid, right? Or somehow we escalate this thing. I mean, it's not just, you know, it's not just watching an MMA fight 
where at the end, if somebody's choked out, we say, oh, let's move on. It's it's more. And I fear a lot of people in the world are enjoying the dopamine hit of of Zelensky in a vest and this and that and and aren't understanding what's it's what what's possible. You know, I, there was a thing on the Babylon Bee, Paul, make you laugh. I'm sure it said uh, the Archdukes uh, uh, of Europe are getting extra security this week. You know, I mean, it, it, strange things can lead to really, really, really bad situations. Yeah, that's right. And and this could go nuclear. It really could. And, and in fact, you know, that's not hyperbole on Sunday. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin put his forces on nuclear alert. And 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 we've seen how how crazy Putin can act. And, you know, the Russian bear. Right. You know, don't corner a bear, an angry bear. And, and you know, he's clearly acting against Ukraine, not only against the wishes of the people of Ukraine, but I think Ed, probably against the people of Russia, too. And, and And so and so you wonder if he's not getting what he wants, what he's expecting, what he wants of his troops, um, you know, is this somebody who'd be willing to to use nuclear weapons in Kiev, in the Ukraine? I, I think it's quite possible. And you know, I've lectured on Putin for years, and I've told people all along, you know, does he want to reestablish the old Soviet Union? Well, no. I, I mean, the old Soviet Union was 16 republics, Russia, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. He doesn't want that. But but he wants a lot of the Ukraine. And people would say to me, how much of the Ukraine? Just the Crimean <laughs> Peninsula, right? Right, right? I'd say, well, I don't know. It looks like now, like he like he wants all of it. But but as to your point there, um, we don't want troops on the ground in there. We don't as much as I feel bad for the Ukrainian people. um, We can't suddenly now, 30 years after the collapse of the Soviet Union, find ourselves in our first hot war against the Kremlin. (laughs) Right. 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 I mean, we we do. not. That is not where we want to go. And as bad as you feel for the people of Ukraine. um, No, you don't you don't want you don't want a hot war. With the Russians, we don't want a third world war. So um, it's it's not a good situation. It is a bad situation. Uh, we're again talking with uh, Dr. Paul Kengor, teaches up at Grove City College and also uh, is a prolific author. Um, Dr. Kengor, in history, you know, history, when you look back at it, you say, well, w- would that this had happened or that had happened at that moment? You know, would it have changed things? Um, you know, would would did Chamberlain's appeasement uh, do nothing? Did it embolden uh, Hitler? Who, who knows? But right now, one of the things you have to wonder is what's the what are the paths that could open to resolve this and get to peace, right? There is talk, there's reports. I don't know how serious it is, the reports, but there is reports, again, could be spin, could be intelligence, whatever, that there's peace talks or settlement talks or whatever on the Belarus border. But what are the possibilities? I mean, could the Ukrainians, I I love, the media says Ukraine's doing great fighting back. There's still Ukraine versus the Russian army. I mean, and and a nuclear power. Um, is it possible? What what are the possible paths you see that could happen that could pull this back? Well, it's a very good question, and I'm glad to see that they are willing to talk. But frankly, I, I see Putin coming to the table and saying, um, "Here's what we're negotiating. We want all of the Ukraine, <laughs> and we want control of it, and we want Zelensky no longer running the government." Um, unless he's our puppet, 
and the Ukrainians basically saying what uh, the Ukrainians said on what Snake Island, right? To that, to that, to right, that, right. you know, you know Vladimir, right. go, you know what, to to yourself, right. and 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 so so I mean that yeah that that's. Uh, so I don't see anything here that they could compromise on. I don't know. This could get really ugly. I, I just wrote a piece for National Catholic Register. It's probably up now um, saying I fear here Ed, a repeat of Hungary in 1956, where you get tens of thousands of people dead at the hands of the Red Army, millions fleeing out of the country. But I don't know that, that maybe that might not be it because it looks like people don't want to flee. It looks like they want to stay and fight. Mm-hmm. So this could be a really deadly dogfight. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's any any kind of settlement that they can agree upon unless Putin's willing to back down. But I don't know that he is willing to back down. That's right. That's the wild card. It's um, it is uh, certainly the, I, I guess the thing, uh, Paul, again, Dr. Paul Kangor is our guest and I'll put up on social media, his recent writing and then uh, link to some of his books and all. But the, the, the lesson of history um, or, or what I would say is that a lesson of history is to understand what's possible. And right now, what's possible should be pretty terrifying. I know a war in the Ukraine is is not pleasant, especially for Ukrainians and others. But what's possible uh, is really daunting and ought to be something that gives everybody pause and to say, and sometimes you don't you don't want to uh, corner a, a, a rabid dog, right? And you've got to right. figure out a way to give him a path to 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 run uh, uh, free or or be contained, and that's what I wonder. Um, you know, and and I will say more uh, politically um, slanted than this president doesn't see, and his people don't seem to have a sense of this. They, I don't think they really understand power dynamics. They tend to understand that they want to do what they want to do. Uh, it's a crew that has had an opinion on changing the Ukraine changing its role in history for 15 years and they're still back in power. It, it doesn't look like they understand. I, I, I do think Trump would understand better the, the dynamic of power. You cannot, even the most evil dude, you got to give him a path out or otherwise you, you corner him. Then you get real problems. Well, that's a good point. That's exactly right. And I think that that's something that, that Trump did understand ab- about negotiating. And, you know, Trump got ridiculed a lot for saying things over the last four years or four years he was in in the presidency. Like, um, well, I don't know what's wrong with me getting along with Putin or Kim in right. North Korea. Right. Right. And right. There's a lot to be said for that. It, it's right. quite true. People say, well, the guy's evil. Well, I, I, I know. But 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 there's a lot to be said for getting you know, not accommodating. Right. But but for getting along with somebody in a situation that can, that can actually diffuse conflict. Right. Rather than escalate conflict. And I think if, if Biden can be held in any way responsible for what's going on, I would, don't hold him responsible. But 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 the Russians prey on weakness. And when when what happened in Afghanistan happened there last summer, July, August of 2021, we all said, and I think I even did your show, we said that this sends a signal to people like Putin in Russia, to, to Xi in, in Beijing with Taiwan, right? You know, that these dictators prey, P-R-E-Y, prey on weakness. And, um, you know, say what you want about Donald Trump, but... But Putin did not go into the Ukraine during the Trump presidency. In fact, last time he went in was 2014 under Obama and Vice President Biden. So, um, you know, like Trump or not, you got to give him some credit on that. Yeah. All right. Dr. Paul Kengor, as always, thank you for uh, the commentary and all your great books and works. A lot to learn. Uh, Again, interesting times. And uh, we'll have you back on the show again very soon. 
All right, Ed. Thanks. Oh, take okay. care. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As state legislatures press forward in their 2022 sessions, their top priority should be election integrity. Other issues like freedom from COVID tyranny, redistricting, and rejecting critical race studies are also important. But without secure elections, all other issues are put at risk. The time is right to press forward on this issue. Polling shows that the number of Americans who don't believe that Joe Biden was elected fairly has grown among Republican voters. According to a Yahoo News YouGov poll, a whopping 75% of Trump voters recognized that the last election was, quote, rigged and stolen, end quote, to hand it to the unfit Biden. Only 9% of Trump voters believe that Biden won fair and square, which is even less than the mere 13% who thought so just a year ago. Republican voters are not eating the dog food being fed by the liberal media who insist that all must bow down to the hokey election procedures used in 2020. NPR recently confirmed that two-thirds of Republicans feel that voter fraud helped Joe Biden win the 2020 election. Trump hasn't wavered in his view of the last election, and increasingly Americans agree with him. Even New York Republicans, not known to be particularly conservative, filed a lawsuit to block the inclusion of 800,000 non-citizens in the voting rolls in New York City elections. Each state can establish the laws for their elections, and the time is ripe for them to ensure election integrity. This includes restoring predominantly in-person voting on a single election day with narrow exceptions subject to transparency about voter verification, plus reporting the final results on the same night as election day. Don't let your state legislatures pass the buck or laugh you out of their offices when you complain. They not only have the power to change the laws, but an obligation to ensure that your vote is properly counted. If they don't take their job seriously, you need to make sure they know that a reckoning is coming in November for them. Fake conservatives are being sifted out from the real ones, and election integrity is the measure by which bona fides will be evaluated. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Those are good interviews. Uh, Rachel Brovard is really important. I hope you will listen uh, closely to her. Hey, one of the things I will, I just got a couple minutes to finish up, but I did get an email. As we watch what's happening in the world and what's happening in our own nation, you repeatedly come around to one thing that actually drives a lot of the issues. I'm not saying it's the only cause of the problem, but that is energy costs. If your preference when you get into office, like Joe Biden was, is to lower the amount of drilling. So you stop fracking, you stop drilling, you stop the Keystone Pipeline, you let the environmentalists put regulations all the way, all over the place. If you do that, what you end up with is a situation where the cost of, 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 uh, of fuel, the cost of energy goes up. And here's another story. In fact, 
Recently, Germany announced that they were backtracking on a pledge they made six months ago where they said we're getting rid of all nuclear. They announced in the last 48 hours, they said, you know, we're not going to close down all those nuclear plants because we think that that energy is important and we can do it cheaply. We can do it safely. Well, in America, we have a situation where the federal government is, again, Biden's, his administration's mindset is antagonism to, uh, to, I don't know, energy, uh, lowering energy costs. They want the Green New Deal and they, they falling into all of these sort of, to me, stereotypical responses. So just a few days ago, the federal government rescinded a license extension for one of the nuclear power plants of our nation. We don't have that many. This one in Florida. And they just rescinded it. They said, you were going to be allowed to go 20 extra years and until I think 2033. And they said, no, we're pulling that back. And the point here is, it's called Turkey Point Nuclear Power Plant. Nuclear power now, it's not Chernobyl. It's not Three Mile Island. This generation is safe enough. Got to be careful. Generation four is even safer, which is coming online next. But you got to do all of the above. You've got to do all of the different uh, uh, resources to increase your energy production, to get the cost down, to be, to, to not be reliant on Middle Eastern folks, Saudis, Qatar, all these places. And also right now in the midst of the, the war that's going on, we're still buying Russian oil because the last thing we can do is cut off, actually cut off the energy supply. So we won't. Well, you know, one of the things that Trump did and I applauded it was get America energy independent. And Biden did the exact opposite. That's crazy. That's crazy. And my point here, and I'll finish with this. You have to do is see how the the policies of the federal government are not just doing sweeping things. Shut the Keystone Pipeline. They're doing little things. Rescind a license extension, right? Change the rules of EPA. It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. All right. We got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our producer, uh, Joanna Spilger for associate producing. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. No, no, not back in a moment. Back tomorrow. See you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>